Welcome to episode 57 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of Ruddy Director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inez Rosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be talking about Lost, Season 4, Episodes 8 through 10. So first up in that batch uh, is the episode entitled Kevin Johnson. So with all that out of the way, I have one question for you, Matt. Would you ever pin a note on your chest admitting all your secrets and all your failures for the whole world to see? Definitely not. So this episode, last week I was pretty excited, as I think a lot of fans were, that the man on the boat was Michael. And this episode, in kind of a switch of format, a lot of it is flashback. A lot of flashback. So we spend a long time finding out how Michael became Ben's man. And I gotta tell you, I don't love how this all went down. And the thing you were alluding to was at the very beginning of this episode, we see Michael in a very dark place. Trigger warning, writes a suicide note, pins it to himself, and tries to kill himself by crashing his car. The reason I find this frustrating, I know that they're trying to make it that Michael had nothing left, so when Ben gave him this offer, he had to go and do it. But in every other season, as we were watching, I kept saying, man, all this guy is trying to do is get a do-over with his son and do the right thing, and no one will let him. No one will give him the benefit of the doubt. They're always bringing up what a bad father he is. And so here, I feel like it would have been more satisfying if things had worked out great when they got back. If somehow Michael and Walt had a stronger relationship than ever, but in like a Benjamin Lioness way, they found another reason that he had to come back and be entwined in this rather than saying, oh, guess what? All of our instincts about him being a shit father and being a bad person were right. And he is. And now he just wishes he was dead. I was like, wow, this really, really is not what I was hoping they would do with Michael coming back. I am completely on the other side of the argument with you, Matt, because I couldn't wait for Michael to come back into the picture in some way because I wanted him to suffer so bad for what he did to Anna Lucille and Libby. And I really, really appreciated that this episode was mostly told in flashback. But the thing that I absolutely adore about it is that Michael couldn't live with the guilt of what he did on the island. And the fact that the the rift between Walt and Michael stems from the fact that Michael just had to tell his guilt to someone and he chose his son. And because of Michael's decision to tell his son that, you know, created the rift between the two of them. I also appreciated that when Michael is trying to kill himself in several different ways in one specific scene, when he tries to blow his head off in an alley, he gets a visit from someone that you and I both know by the name of Mr. Friendly. And Mr. Friendly takes him to a hotel room and he basically gives him a giant expedition dump explaining that the man behind the entire hoax of Flight 815 being found on the bottom of the ocean is 
Charles Whitmore. Charles Whitmore is the one behind this whole goddamn thing. And I really like what that leads to. I like that as well. And I think the interesting part is that last week, the people on the freighter told us it was Ben who did all this. And now Ben's people are saying, it wasn't Ben, it was Widmore. It was this jerk. But Tom presents the evidence that they have to say, these are the purchase orders. And actually, Widmore has a boat. He has a freighter. And they're the ones who dropped off the remnants of the plane and planted this false evidence. So this is a more convincing argument, whereas last batch of episodes, the people on the freighter were implying that it was Ben Linus who did this, full well knowing, possibly, the captain of the freighter might have been the captain of the freighter who actually planted the false plane. So I did like that. I just think everything we knew about Michael from season one and two He would not feel the guilt. He would be willing to put that aside. So as a character choice, I think they missed the mark. But in terms of how they are bringing him back in, it made sense, but it just rang false to me. I do love that the scene with him and Friendly, when Friendly has his boy toy in the hotel and is eating, you know, chocolate covered strawberries, showing what a good time they have when they're not on the island was really good. And we know that Michael since he is desperate to just die and Tom tells him the island won't let you do it. The island won't let you. It's implying some sort of magical force is not letting this happen. So I enjoyed that. And then seeing how he got on the freighter pretending to be this person, Kevin Johnson. And when he has small meetings with people that we already know, like Frank, the pilot, and he says to him, Hey, how's it going? I'm here looking for adventure or whatever. And Frank says, hey, uh, just so you know, I think this 815 thing was fake. And he says that the reason that he's on the boat and the reason that Widmore has recruited him is because Widmore thinks it's fake, which is running apparently contrary to the information we got earlier that it was Widmore who faked it. So we still are getting deeper in what is true, how nefarious is Widmore, and who is worse, Ben or Charles? And I love that that goes on. In the flashbacks with Michael, Libby does return a few times as a vision, a ghost, manifesting his guilt still. Were you surprised to see her show up, Marcelo? I was surprised, but I was happy surprised. Because as I said in my opening remarks, I was so gloriously over the moon happy that Michael's ill decisions that he did in the past, granted, to protect his son and save his son, are coming back to bite him in the ass. And when Livy showed up as a vision or as a ghost, I loved it. And I love that specific scene when Michael is in the engine room and is after the others shipped him a personal box and he opens up the box and he in that crate there's a big giant thing of C4 so he can basically blow up the freighter and damage the freighter and Michael reaches a point where he says fuck it I'm not going to give Ben or the others what they want and I'm going to blow myself up as the timer ticks down he goes I'm sorry Walt but you know when the timer hits zero this little note pops up and it says not yet and I just loved that scene also I love the conversation that Ben has with Michael in the radio room I really 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 love that scene for a specific reason and I don't know why it's a great scene when Michael gets this call and they tell him it's Walt and of course he answers it excitedly thinking that maybe his son has come around and it's not Walt it's Ben and I love that because in that He says, I gave you that fake bomb to show you who I am because I don't want to kill innocent people. That is not the rules of the game. I'm not Charles Widmore. This is something I don't kill innocents. I only do what has to be done. Then 
Ben tells him, like, get me a list of everyone on board, report back, sabotage the the engine, the radio, and do all that stuff that we know has happened. So I love seeing where Ben says that bomb thing was to prove to you who I am and that I am not Charles Widmore. So I thought that was great. And of course, the present day stuff, so much of this episode is just flashbacks. And then the present day is Desmond and Saeed trying to find out from Michael how he got here, why he's here. And Saeed's bullshit detector is going crazy and he can't handle it because he needs to have some sort of control. And when Saeed finds out, you know, that it's Ben that Michael is working for, Saeed grabs Michael and drags him like a prisoner to the captain and says, this is the saboteur. This is not Kevin Johnson. This is a freaking survivor of Oceanic 815. And this is the reason we're having so much trouble on this boat. And in that moment, I'm so conflicted because Ben has been so convincing in this episode and with everything that Tom is laying out that we're starting to feel like Widmore might be the worst of these two evils. And for Saeed to give up the game and bring Michael right to the captain, I'm like, oh, Saeed, what are you doing? I don't like Saeed's usually right, but I'm not on board with his actions at this time. Sometimes the devil that you can trust a little bit is better than the devil you can't trust at all. And on that lovely note, we move on to the next episode that we're going to talk about this week entitled uh, The Shape of Things to Come. So, Matt. I have another question for you. Would you spend eight years going across the world looking for the person that you love most in this world? I would, but I would hope it would have a better result than it does in The Shape of Things to Come. Because this episode is the episode where we are dealing with flash forwards again. We are flashing from the island drama forward to whenever Ben is able to ensnare Saeed in his web and we see how Saeed became Ben's attack dog. And as you alluded to in your question, the heartbreaking thing that we find out is that Saeed was part of the Oceanic Six, got off the island, found Nadia, married her, his true love who he had been working so hard to get to. And then she is murdered. And Ben tells him, guess what? The guy who murdered her was working for Charles Widmore. And we need to set things right. This answers the why. How, why is Saeed working with Ben? Because Ben knows who is responsible for the death of Nadia. Saeed is a broken man. His whole world has collapsed. And he wants my favorite thing, revenge. I really love this episode because of the international travel of it all. Watching Ben try and track certain people or track Saeed was just fascinating to me. I have no idea why. And the interesting thing is when Ben finally confronts Saeed and tells him that the person that killed Nadia is Charles Whitmore, at first you're thinking, okay, he's just telling him this because he wants to, you know, push Saeed into Charles Whitmore's crosshairs for whatever particular reason. But as the episode goes on and what happens later, you find out that Ben has a very specific reason for why he wants to protect the island and why he wants Charles Whitmore to suffer so goddamn much. So what did you think of that specific wrinkle when we do find out 
why Ben is so fixated on making Charles Whitmore suffer. Not for wanting to find out the secret of the island, but for something else. So that is the key to this episode. And even at the very end of the last episode, we didn't mention it, but Russo and Alex and Carl are heading for the temple and they are ambushed and Carl and Rousseau are killed and Alex presumably is taken by someone. And in this episode, we find out that Kimi, that bastard from the freighter, along with his hired mercenary people, have Alex. And they storm the camp where Locke and everyone is, and Benjamin Linus is bracing for war, and Kimi says to him, come on out, Ben, game's over. You gotta come out, or I'm gonna kill your daughter. And in a moment of ill-advised hubris, Ben calls his bluff. He says, you're not gonna do that. I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. And Kimi, point blank, murders Alex in such a shocking, it's like the quickest, one of the quickest deaths on Lost that literally one second she's alive, next second, 100% dead. And it's shocking and it takes your breath away. And Ben is rocked to the core because he says they shouldn't have been able to do that. That's not part of the rules. There are certain rules in place and this breaks the rules. This was not part of whatever this game is that Ben thinks he's playing and that him and Charles Widmar are in a chess match about. In those moments where Ben seems overly confident, we're screaming like, don't do this, like save Alex. And literally when she gets murdered, it is so shocking. But then to see that Ben, you know, him saying this is not part of the rules, it adds more questions, but also it's a man who he called a bluff and was wrong. Ben rarely will call a bluff unless he knows what's going to happen. So this was a time where dominoes are falling that Benjamin Linus did not put into place. The question that I had running through my head as that scene was going on is, didn't Ben cause this to some extent? I mean, he was the one that suggested Alex, Russo, and Alex's boyfriend go to the temple. I mean, so couldn't he have known that, oh, if I send my daughter the kid that I don't like and my daughter's real mother off in the jungle, there is a possibility that something could go wrong and that this could lead to the death of my daughter. Don't you think that he considered that for a second? Maybe, but he says that the temple is like the last truly safe place on the island. So I think he thought they would get there before anything bad happened. The fact that he didn't think this through shows that he is behind the eight ball a bit. The final scene of this episode where Ben, you know, basically goes into this giant hotel room and he lies to get up to the penthouse and he speaks to Charles Whitmore and he says to Charles, listen, I am going to find your daughter and I'm going to kill your daughter so you could finally understand how it is that I feel. And the thing that I found most interesting about that exchange was what Charles Whitmore said. He said, basically, everything that you have, Benjamin Linus, you stole from me, which includes the island, which includes all the island secrets and everything. So I found that final scene to be very, very intriguing. And it brought up so many more questions about why Charles Whitmore wants the island in the first place. I thought he wanted the island for something else, but this conversation really made me think that he really wants the island for other reasons that I don't know at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I remember this final scene exploding the internet message boards at the time. 
So I remember logging on back in 2008 or whatever it was and everyone freaking out because this feels like not necessarily 100% like God and the devil or like the devil and a demon. Some sort of thing where they're saying like Ben thought it was a game for humanity or something that had rules and Whitmore is saying I can change the rules because I'm the one who created the game. I had the island. Every power everything that makes you special you took from me i am the alpha you are my beta get used to it and that almost implies that widmore has some sort of connection to this island before benjamin did and like a million and a half questions everyone was going off in some sort of weird new direction pondering the spiritual religious consequences of this episode and what that final scene meant especially when ben goes to that penthouse He has a key that allows him to go up to that elevator penthouse. Charles is asleep and he's not even that startled to see Ben show up, establishing that these two men have a deeper history that we don't know about. And Widmore is more than just an evil rich man who happens to be Penelope's father. And of course, when Ben tells him like, I'm going to kill your daughter, us watching are horrified because of Desmond and Penny's relationship. We care a lot about Penny. I would say more so than we did about Alex and Alex's death was horrifying that if that was bad, then Penny, if she were to be killed would be 10 times the impact to us watching. So I thought that was the best scene of the episode, the one that floored me in a, in an episode that has a ton of cool shit, like Ben waking up in the desert in a parka as if he has just teleported there and seeing him world hop and use a Canadian passport. There's so much weird stuff going on that we still don't know in this flash forward that, man, they are keeping us intrigued and rocking us to the core. And the other insane, insane moment is when Ben goes into that room, which blew my mind because we still don't know, like, what is happening here? What did he do in that room? Well, when he goes into that room, I have no idea what he did in that room. But one of the two things that I really, really enjoyed about this episode is the assassin uh, who actually killed Nadia is the captain of the USS Kelvin from the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film. So I just got so much joy out of that little, little scene. I thought that specific scene where Ben came out of that room and basically the smoke monsters come and, you know, lay havoc to everyone. I was like, first first of all, if Ben can control the smoke monster, why? How come he didn't do this before? Like, why didn't he use a smoke monster to eliminate more of his enemies in past seasons? Do you think that that was like a writer's convenience? I wonder if it was a writer's convenience or if there is some sort of cost to summoning the smoke monster, if it's something that can only happen when certain events have taken place so that's the only thing that since we didn't see how he did it and what happened in that weird room that he went into there's so many questions that if he could have done this all along why wouldn't he have used it more can he only do it because something terrible like the murder of alex has taken place so that's still up in the air on that note guys we move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week the episode entitled something nice from back home matt My final question for you this week is simply this. Why did doctors make the worst patients? They really do. And this episode is a flash forward episode centering on Jack. Now, for all of the Jack and Kate shippers, this episode starts in thrilling fashion. We see Jack off the island 
He is talking to someone who's in the shower. Shower door opens. It's Kate. They're in love. They kiss. Everything is looking good. But as the flash forwards on this episode progress, we start to fill in the blanks that this happy, in love Jack Shepard after Kate's trial. So this takes place after the Kate trial episode, but still everything going on here is before the through the looking glass flash forwards where Jack is off the rails. Kate barely even wants to speak to him. So we're trying to find out how he gets there and it's heartbreaking and soul crushing to watch Jack struggle and turn to the bottle and turn to pills. And part of it is driven by a disturbing encounter he has with Hurley where Hurley says, Hey man, things are bad. I see Charlie. He told me to tell you not to raise him. And all of our joy of Jack and Kate getting engaged, being in love, is slowly sucked away throughout this entire episode as Jack falls deeper and deeper into this pit, very much like his father. That it was painful to watch, to be honest with you, because we like these characters so much. And in their big scene where Jack knows that Kate has lied to him and she says, just trust me, do not make me disclose where I was or why. And Jack will not let it go. And then what she tells him blows our fucking mind. As a professed Kate and Jack lover throughout the entire series, this episode to me was like eating one of those bittersweet candies. I loved it, but then I wanted to spit it out and I wanted to claw my eyes out. It was so remarkably lovely. Like you said, Matt, watching Jack and Kate together in a happy spot in their lives. But as the episode goes on, it is really, really distressing to me that the thing that breaks up the Jack and Kate relationship and the proposal is the fact that that Jack cannot accept that there is a, a certain thing that Kate won't tell him. Like, for example, if I was in a relationship with Kate and I knew her past history with men and I knew her past history with Sawyer, regardless of the fact that I love Kate and I know that she loves me, I would acknowledge that she has certain friendships with a certain individual and I would accept that. I would eat my tongue because I'm with the woman that I love and I would have to acknowledge to myself that I wouldn't be able to have all of her. If I was in that position, I wouldn't have done what Jack did. But like you said, it was so awful to see Jack slowly go into alcoholism in this episode, slowly turn to pills and... When he goes to see Hurley at a mental institution and Hurley basically says, you are not meant to raise Aaron. The kid is supposed to be raised by somebody else. And that to me really, really destroyed me because I love the scene of the episode where Jack is reading a bedtime story to Aaron. And after he gets done reading the bedtime story, him and Kate have a discussion and she says, you're so good with him. I love the fact that you reconsidered and that you came back. And that leads to a particular scene where Jack picks up Kate and he takes her to the bedroom. And I've always wanted to do that to a girl. So yeah, that scene was like one of the highlights of this entire episode. 
for me. Definitely. And especially finding out that the Aaron thing was almost a deal breaker at first for Jack casts another like rocky light on everything going on. But in that final scene and the meat of this episode is the flash forwards because the on island stuff centers around Jack needing an appendectomy. But because we have the flash forwards and we know that Jack survives and is fine. I honestly was mostly checked out during a lot of those scenes because there wasn't that much at stake. Thankfully, they throw in some other nuggets with the people who do do the surgery being good at medicine. Um, Charlotte knowing Mandarin and Jin calling her out that he she does understand him. But because we know Jack is going to be fine, it took a lot of the tension out of those scenes where Jack is sick and he might die because we knew he wasn't going to die. As you mentioned, you know, when him and Kate have that big blowout at the end and he won't let it go he keeps needling her to find out where she was and she says i had to do something for sawyer because i promised him i would do it and the reason i'm not telling you is because sawyer wouldn't want me to he's my friend and even though i love you it's not my thing to tell and jack gets even more pissed off and throws in her face and says the worst thing, the most Jack Shepard thing. He said, I'm the one who saved you, not him. He decided to stay. So I love that this shows us some people did stay on the island a hundred percent. So we know that Sawyer at this point is not part of the Oceanic Six, but he's not necessarily dead. He stayed on the island and Jack goes even one step lower. Kate is upset and he says, I can't have you around my son like this. And Jack goes, you're not even related to him. And that brings up something that we aren't sure at this point. If Jack knows Aaron is actually his nephew, as much as he didn't want to raise this kid, he's told he shouldn't. He is a blood relative of Aaron because Claire is his half sister. And this is Claire's son. So Aaron is actually Jack's nephew. We're unsure, but on Island, Claire has a vision of Christian Shepherd and he's playing with Aaron and Claire disappears because her and ghost Christian Shepherd go off and Sawyer's looking for Claire saying, where's Claire? Where's Claire? And Miles said, oh, I saw her hanging out with her dad. And it was like, what? So we still don't know if at this point in the future, if Jack knows that and if this Christian Shepherd showing up on the island again is going to lead to that reveal to our characters because we already know they are related, but they don't know they're related. Not because, you know, that got me wondering uh, when you said that Kate had to do a favor for Sawyer because that indicates that some people stayed on the island and, and that some people came off the island. But before you said that, I was like, my head was completely somewhere else. And then after you said that, I was like, maybe the favor that Kate did for Sawyer was like, maybe Kate provided some money to gave some money to Sawyer's kid. After that went through my head, I was like, why would he do that? Because didn't he set up a blind trust? They mentioned in that other thing that he did set up a, a trust for Clementine. So his daughter will be taken care of in some respects, but maybe, the and we don't know what the favor is. And I did assume it was at least checking up on his kid and finding out if everything's all right, but we don't know at this point. And uh, the last thing I want to say about this specific episode that really ticked me the hell off, Charlotte is one of the most annoying. She just really, really ticks me off. I usually like redheads, but this redhead I don't like. And she just makes me 
really, really angry. She's nothing but trouble. And the fact that Jin calls her out for lying and she tries to deny it. You're just like, you're caught. Admit it. So I'd, I'm not a big fan of her either. As we get closer to the home stretch of this season, man, these flash forwards have added such a new dynamic and playing with the dramatic irony of, you know, when we're on island, these characters don't know how much they're going to wish they had stayed where they were living life on the beach, just fishing and eating coconuts rather than trying so hard to get off. And that kills me. That'll wrap it up uh, for this week's edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys want to reach out to us, if you like anything that we do here, the easiest way to reach out to us is just by using the hashtag on Twitter, Radio 815. If we ever get any questions or any comments on there, and if they are nice and if they are polite, we will address them on the show, and maybe we'll give you a shout out. But if you guys want to reach me and chat with me about Lost or anything else, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach you and talk to you about anything having to do with Lost or anything else, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. Until next time, as I often say, we'll talk back soon.